Hey, dear jurors, this is Ebony Kay. Dustin and I so appreciate y'all and all the support y'all show each and every week by listening to the show, sending us your comments, telling your friends about holding court. Listen, we thank you. We want to let you know that we're going to take a quick break this week, but don't worry, don't worry. We'll be back next week with a brand new episode of Holding Court. This week, I'm actually traveling to Tulsa, Oklahoma to be part of the centennial commemoration of one of the most horrific yet least known about moments of American history, the Tulsa Race Massacre. Now, if you don't know, 100 years ago, in the thriving black community of Greenwood District of Tulsa, Oklahoma, which is also known as Black Wall Street, an angry, visceral white mob burned down the neighborhood and its thriving businesses and killed over 300 hardworking black Americans, mainly because they were jealous and, and resentful around their business success as entrepreneurs. Y'all, it's a foul crime of racism, a display of white supremacy. We have to remember it and call it out because we know we still struggle with those issues of inequality today in America. Now, I'm guessing as a holding court listener, you're probably already familiar with the history of Tulsa. But as always, we can all learn more. You can see more details about it by accessing the links in our episode notes. Now, in the meantime, we've got a special bonus episode for you today from the Black Effect Network. It's the first episode of the documentary podcast, Reparations, The Big Payback, hosted by Erica Alexander and Whitney Dow. They use their unique storytelling skills and experiences to explore the arguments for and against the topic of reparations for Black America. Here it is now, and we'll see you next week with a brand new episode of Holding Court. Welcome to Reparations, The Big Payback, a production of Color Farm Media, iHeartRadio, and the Black Effect Podcast Network. I'm Erica Alexander. And I'm Whitney Dow. Enslavement is theft. The people who are owed for slavery are no longer here. I want to check. I don't think reparations is a good idea. Everyone should be given the damage that was done to their family. Cash payment. I don't want no government handout. Reparations should be welcomed by... Some folks may want checks, but what we're really talking about is closing that wealth gap and making people whole. Let me tell you, justice is just a minimum. Here we are on the corner of Wall and Broad Street, one of the most like famous corners in America, right? It's the seat of capitalism. We're standing at the feet of George Washington, founder of our country who's looking across Wall Street at the New York Stock Exchange. Is this it? This is it. It's smaller than I thought. (laughs) (laughs) It looks more impressive in pictures. I was doing a little research before we came down here, Erica, and, you know, the value of the companies contained in the New York Stock Exchange is over $30 trillion. That's $10 trillion more than the nation's GDP every year. Or 30 Amazon. (laughs) (laughs) And the value and the amount of trading that is done every day, the amount of money that passes through there, is, I think, over $160 billion every day. When you think of Wall Street, what do you think of? 
I think of this. I mean, it's built with a lot of stone. There's all these really beautiful, polished bronze doors with sparkling glass and a lot of really decorative ironwork around. And it's kind of telling everybody, well, if you're a white man, you can come in, but everybody else stay out. <laughs> meant to intimidate, and it does. It's not only intimidating to New Yorkers, but I think it's meant to be intimidating to the world. What I didn't realize is that directly across the street is Federal Hall. Let's walk up there a little bit, Erica. We're standing in front of Federal Hall Memorial, and that's another Gothic building, and out in front of it, there's a statue of George Washington. And what really struck me when I saw this, here's the founder of our country, and he's looking across the street at the stock exchange, as if he's looking at the capitalist foundation of the country. But this is where he took the oath of office, upstairs in this building. Wow. Yeah. They really did a nice job on the bronze work near his crotch. And it matters because you're looking up at him and you're meant to see his penis first and then go up to his face and follow his eyes to the uh, stock exchange. At least that's what I see. At our back is George Washington. If we look to our right, we can see Trinity Church, the oldest church. I think it's one of the oldest churches in the country, oldest church in New York. If you look across the street, directly in front of us is a stock exchange. And then if you look down the street to the water, do you know what's down that street? The location of... New York's first slave market that was founded in 1711. So we sort of have like the four points of the compass in America. We have politics, money, religion, slavery. That sounds right. Black people will always make up the four points. And in fact, none of these things could exist, these politics, that religion, or that money, without slavery. And that's the unfortunate part. For them to have white freedom and white success, they needed black bodies. You know, when I met you, Whitney, I had no idea that I would be stuck with you for this long. We've been talking about reparations for two years. It's only been two years for us, but it's been 150 years for our country. Did you ever imagine yourself making a project about reparations with a guy named Whitney Burton Dow? from no. the colony of Cambridge, Massachusetts? No. You know, like you often point out, I look at the drawing of a wasp or a colonist. Well, yeah, I guess if you come from Cambridge, Massachusetts and your name match Whitney Burton Dow, you look a little whitish, so yeah. <laughs> but who better than you to represent for your people? Well, if you're talking about white people, yes. Yes, I I'm mean white guy. people. Yeah, you're okay. that guy, white people in America, that's you. Well, hey, Miss Hollywood, you know, You're no pauper. I've seen your house. (laughs) If you did, you wouldn't be saying that. (laughs) I need reparations just as much as anybody. (laughs) Uh, I am no Cambridge Whitney Dow. And I didn't just pop into people's movie screens and on stages and in theaters all over the world. I have an origin story. We all have origin stories. And origin stories are how you live. They don't, hopefully, determine who you are. Yeah. It's about the stories we tell ourselves, and I guess stories shape our present reality. And I think that's where every story starts. Every good story is between reality and myth. Like, what's possible? Telling the truth. Well, you're setting a pretty high bar that you and I are going to get to the truth. Everybody lives different truths. I think your truth is mixed with a lot of lies. (laughs) 
<laughs> Thanks for that. Are you talking about me personally, Erica, or collectively as the white guy here? Both. <laughs> Reparations, it's a complicated issue. And I'm not sure if I'm the right person to tell the story with you, Erica. You know, I might be too white. Well, I'm extra black. I'm extra crispy black. I, I'm, Does that offset some of my whiteness? Is that what you're saying? No, no, no. You white, you white. You got to live with it. You know, I, I, it ain't my problem. I'm going to coattail on your blackness here. By the way, this is a conversation. If we're going to go on this journey about reparations, it ain't about you. Ouch. No, you would say it is about you, but I'm Harriet's child. You hear me? I'm here to rescue my people. And the last time I checked, we just got a new black woman VP. So right now I'm feeling like ain't nothing too big for me. And if not you, Whitney, then who? Step up. If we're going to do this, we've got to make a plan. We've got to find experts. We've got to, you know, find people who actually know what they're talking about. Ooh, shh. Just close your eyes and make a wish. Count to three. You hear that? Come on. That's Sheila Jackson Lee. That's Congressional Hearing on H.R. 40, Juneteenth, 2019. America is a place that welcomes the diversity of thought. We even welcome the diversity of thought among the multicolored chocolate people that are African Americans. Did you hear that? Multicolored chocolate. You see how she got down? Oh, oh, girl. That's a warrior. If we were to pay reparations today, we would only divide the country further. They're about to turn on him, like Mr. In Color Purple. Reparations, by definition, are only given to victims. Victims have no consent. What are you supposed to say? I give you permission to redline me, massa. Ooh, here comes Donahue, Mr. Wakanda. Buckle up. We recognize our lineage as a generational trust, as inheritance. And the real dilemma posed by reparations is just that, a dilemma of inheritance. Yep, that's what's happening in D.C. I guess that's why H.R. 40, a bill to discuss reparations, has been stuck in committee for 30 years. But meanwhile, on these mean streets, here we are, out here, Man, it's crazy. The remnants of this history is all around us. Oh, snap. It's the New York's municipal slave market. There's a sign here, probably less than two feet across and just over one foot high. With this drawing on it and has a green New York Parks emblem and it says on Wall Street between Pearl and Water Streets, a market that auctioned enslaved people of African ancestry was established by a common council law on November 30th, 1711. This is the New York's municipal slave market sign. But you can look up from this site and see Trinity Church and you can see the New York Stock Exchange. And the foundation of it all, American slavery, gets a two-by-two plaque. You know, I've been here before, but this is the first time I'm seeing this. So I'm a little pissed off. I don't know why it's not more prominent. I don't know why it's just a sign. Look, there's a big old statue of George Washington over there. Big buildings that we talked about with stones look like it should be here. And this looked like it'd be, it could be knocked over by a hard wind. How does it make you feel thinking about all this? You're visibly upset. You're shaking. I'm not shaking. I'm upset. I mean, I really wish I could rip that sucker out. It's not even worth it being there. And then also, I'm kind of mad because I have been here before. 
I didn't see it. There are people walking through, they're immigrants. They've got their children, they've got all their families. They should be able to see it. There should be the stain of it. And New Yorkers should have to live with it. They should have to learn about it. They should be confronted with it. I want them to really acknowledge slavery. I want them to give us justice. Black people want justice. We deserve it. We should have it by any means necessary. And part of that justice is that you should not be able to come and walk by a slave market marker and not be moved by it, or at least have to reckon with it or see it. That was so brutal, being there with you, Erica, someone who I care about, and seeing the visceral reaction, the pain that it caused you to be there. It left me feeling kind of helpless. And I know that if I'd been alone, if I had been there by myself, I would have found some way to push myself away from it and the absurdity of it and just kind of intellectualize it where being there with you forced me to own it a bit. But that's my problem, not yours. It is your problem and black people's burden to bear. I mean, we gave you money and paid the VIG on your loan. Who needs bootstraps when they've got friends like you, Whitney? That's what I meant earlier when I said your truth is filled with a lot of lies. These realities, they show up for me every day. Meanwhile, you're underwater thinking your real estate has value. What I'm thinking about is solutions. And I really believe the only way towards a true reconciliation is to create a funded reparations program. And uh, white Americans have to decide if they want to rise with black Americans or fall with them. I see you, Whitney Dow. You're doing something. I mean, you're here. You're working on it. You're talking about it. But don't expect a parade or props for showing up to clean up the mess you've made. <laughs> yeah, it is a big mess. And Erica, you've told me in the past that you feel like James Baldwin or Ta-Nehisi Coates has said that you don't really believe, you don't really have faith that white people are of the ability to change. And I totally understand that. If, if I were black, I imagine I would feel the exact same way. And especially looking at the events of the last, you know, few weeks, and we've had three or 4,000 white people storming the Capitol, and it looks horrible. Those images were just like atrocious. But at the same time, we've also had millions of white people in the street marching alongside black and brown people protesting police violence. So that does make me a little optimistic. I hope it doesn't sound corny that I do believe we can change, or I, maybe I feel like I kind of have to believe we can change. Like in Evanston, Illinois, things are changing. I'm known as Reparation Robin and Rosa Parks now, so <laughs> that's different. How about that? She's a rock star. 400 years after the first enslaved Africans got off the boat, Alderman Robin Rue Simmons passes the first reparations bill in America. Oh, man. Now talk about the long arc. <laughs> we got to keep an eye on her. We will. But I want to show you something first. So, Erica, tell me, what do you see here? What are, we, what, what are you walking up to? Oh, we're at Dwayne and Elk Street, and it says African Burial Ground Way. So they're building a federal building, a $256 million building. And when they broke ground on it, they discovered this burial ground. What does this say here? Changing landscape obscures the past. The African burial ground was labeled Negroes Burial Ground on the 1755 map at right. 
Colonial New York laws banned African funerals in officially consecrated graveyards, prohibited gatherings of large numbers of enslaved Africans, and decreed that funerals had to be held during daylight. Nonetheless, Africans and their descendants held burial ceremonies in a cemetery outside the city wall near a ravine. As New York City expanded northeast, the burial ground was closed in 1794 and eventually divided into lots for sale. The land was filled in and buildings were constructed on top for almost two centuries. New York City's growth obscured the graves and the African burial ground was nearly forgotten until we tried to put a Starbucks on it. It's a metaphor, right? The foundation is African-Americans and Americans built on top of it. They turned their burial ground into real estate. But that foundation wasn't paid for. Well, it was paid for in blood and guts and suffering. I think 50% of the people buried here were children. So we talk about reparations for work and value created, but what about reparations for all the people that were destroyed by it? If 50% of it is children, the people who actually never had a life. So this is showing the levels of different centuries and what they built on top of those coffins. It's a diagram. We're at ground level, right? Yeah, we're at ground level. So the, on top, there's three different centuries, and the lowest right here, at least, is the 1700s. People were buried in individual coffins up to three deep. But that looks exactly like the slave ship diagrams coming across. That's interesting. From Africa. Yeah. So they went out like they came in. That's a cold, cold thought. Let's walk up to the next marker. This one is, says Africans in early New York. Before the American Revolution, New York had more enslaved Africans, its most valuable commodity, than any other colony in the North. You're leaving out the most important thing here. It's not that these people were just here. They say and they give an account of their work. Women sewed, cooked, harvested, and cared for owners' children. Laborers tore up cobblestone streets, dug trenches, laid and joined the pipe sections and filled in the trenches, pay one dollar a day and slave workers' wages went to their owners. That's real. Yeah. And you know, the re- one of the reasons why the slave market was established down on Wall Street was because there were so many enslaved Africans here. And the actual way the labor pool was structured wasn't really structured. They were just sending people out in the street to, like, earn money, and they wanted to sort of, like, codify into something more structured. So, by the way, this whole thing is about white fear. Yeah, you should be fucking afraid. Because if we ever get what we deserve, and if we ever start to balance those books, there ain't no stopping us. And it's over. It's not just a rebrowning of America. It's a black nation coming into its own. So, yeah, they try to bury us. Too black, too strong. From 1890s until 1794, an estimated 15,000 enslaved and free Africans were laid to rest in the African burial. 15,000. Bodies are here. Seven burial mounds mark the locations of the re internments. Oh, here they are over here. So this is it. Yeah, look at the mounds here. Oh my God. Now to me, this is significant. My God, look at that. What does it make you feel to stand here and look at this? Well, I'm very proud. I'm glad to see them. And I don't know, I gain comfort from them being here. I'd come out here and eat my lunch with them. What do you think? 
it's funny because you know you look over at the stone and it's all representational this is so much more concrete these are real burial mounds and knowing that the remains lie underneath it and knowing that they're aligned in a certain way with their heads facing africa i think it's beautiful it's beautiful And they shall rise again. Woo! Hey, you know they give tours of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Black Gotham, 30 bucks. Totally worth it, definitely. I'd buy several tickets. I got to take my mom and show her all these hidden gems because she's the griot in the family. Oh, man. It's a shame because no matter how hard she worked with me, it wasn't enough. And she won't live to see a new world that's created through the application of reparations. So like the Africans underneath those buildings, it's going to be beyond her flesh and bone, but that means it's fertile ground. It's very fertile. My mother's in it. <laughs> it's blessed and highly favored. What really strikes me about it, Erica, is that it's called the African burial ground, but it's not just African history. It's white history, too. And it's history that's layered across generations. And it's not just about what happened before, what happened hundreds of years ago. You can also see in it how it's impacted what's happening today and how you and I, how our own families are living within the legacy of slavery. Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, my brother's a Philly cop and my sister's a social worker. And they work within the racist system that we're talking about every day. You know, that's how they make their living. And the weird part is, if systematic reformation is needed and reparations is part of the cure, we have to get ready because there's a whole lot of black folks that are baked into the current architecture. And they ain't going to get out. I mean, it's a rough ride. It, it would disrupt everything. So we got to be careful what we wish for. First, do no harm. Maybe we need to step out of our current reality for a moment. Reverend Barber says that we're in the third reconstruction. So Whitney, this is our opportunity to map out a blueprint, to chart a new destiny, to decide who our builders are, our architects, our machinists. You would probably need a few arsonists. We're gonna have to tear some things down along the way, but first we need vision, imagination. You mean a reimagination? That's a little change. Oh, oof, it's amazing what a good composition can do to carry us away. Okay, I'm ready. I think, well, let's be real. You always feel your best at the beginning of the marathon. I hope I'm ready. Yeah. I hope I bought a black power bar. This season on Reparations, the big payback. I didn't have a lot of skills. I was a bad student. I was kind of this pissed off child. I got thrown out of schools. I was always getting into fights. So that's everything. why you got into race work, because you were a mediocre white man. You <laughs> anywhere, anywhere. Exactly. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. I, was, I failed everywhere else, so race took me and I made a career out of it. <laughs> now that's what we need in this business. <laughs> we need the rejects. Awesome. Look, we have to define reparations some people want to define reparations as a give me a check. That's not reparations. They treat us like animals more or less than like human beings. And we are the ones who lost our lives building this country and got paid not one dime for it. 
but everybody else is reaping the benefits. That's our money. My life revolves primarily around my discovery that my ancestors were the largest slave trading family in U.S. history. When I looked at your Wikipedia, my God, brother, you're not playing. You like the uh, John Lewis of the aristocrats. <laughs> the inspiration for me in reparations, I know that the injustice and the discrimination and the racism is a shared problem, but which has to be confronted if we're going to move on successfully together. My life wouldn't have been any different if I was black because it's the core of who you are. Everyone has a burden. It's how you handle the burden. And so I truly don't feel that there was privilege. Absolutely not. Mom, what happened was we were standing there <laughs> and suddenly the window shatters. The policeman told me that he was trying to kill some blackbirds, meaning my children who were standing at the window. Had it not been for a double pane windows, probably I would have that morning lost two of my children. If I had enough money to ease the disparities and enough programs directed run by black people to help us, then I would even be willing not to have Kamala Harris be vice president. <laughs> what goes on your playlist, the reparations playlist? Uh, well, what I play for my students at the end of the semester is, um, when will we get paid? This podcast is produced by Eric Alexander, Ben Arnon, and Whitney Dow. The executive producers are Charlemagne the God and Dolly S. Bishop. The supervising producer is Nicole Childers, and the lead producer is Devin Maverick-Robbins. The producer-writer is Cerise Castle, and the associate producer is Kevin Pham, with additional research support provided by Niall Blass. Original music by DJ DTP. Reparations The Big Payback is a production of Color Farm Media, iHeartRadio, and the Black Effect Podcast Network in association with Best Case Studios. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your